Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. And that was something I, I think I'm running out of ways to describe the Philadelphia Eagles run to the top of the NFL, but they put an exclamation point on it on a rainy night at Arrowhead Stadium, the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you like soccer by any chance? I do. I'm sorry if you don't. I'm sorry to take it there at the start of the NFL show, but we call that a smash and grab in the world of soccer. The Philadelphia Eagles go into Arrowhead, in my opinion, get outplayed by the Chiefs for the majority of this game and yet in the final minutes, there they are in position to get the late winner 21-17 over the defending champs. They do not avenge the Super Bowl loss. Please stop saying that. That's not how this works. The trophy stays where it is, but it is a huge win for the NFL's best team. Philadelphia Eagles start 9-1 and for the second consecutive season. Absolutely tremendous start to their season. And like we've been saying all year long, they just keep finding ways to do it. I'm never 100% convinced how it's going to happen, but there they are again. Yes, thank you for that stat, wonderful producers. Just the third team in the last 30 years to start 9-1 and one in consecutive years. I want to take you to crunch time. It was a rainy game. It was a messy game. It's been a theme also this year. The, the games we get the most excited about maybe aren't classics in the truest sense of the word. This wasn't quite the thriller we saw in Arizona in February. Still a very entertaining game for its own reasons. Let's take you to the end of it. The play you're going to see a million billion times this week, the rest of this season, the most apt description of the razor thin margin in the NFL you could ever ask for Kansas city chiefs second and 10 150 to play just on their own side of midfield. Chiefs trailing 21-17. Patrick Mahomes drops back. Completely clean pocket. No pressure. Uncorks a bomb from the far side of the logo. He's got Marquez Valdez scantling. He's got him by two steps on Bradley Roby. Easy. Lays it right there, right over his shoulder. And he doesn't come down with it. MVS was so far out in front of his coverage that he did land short of the goal line, but I'm I'm damn near positive his momentum on the diving play would have carried him into the end zone before Roby could even get to him. So it's very likely Kansas City goes ahead 24-21 with under two minutes to play on that play. Instead, the whole stadium groans. It's been a theme for the night. Chiefs just could not get right in the passing game. Patrick Mahomes looks like somebody kicked his dog and now it's third and 10. He gets swarmed by the Eagles pass rush. You know, they're going to show up if you give him another opportunity, he's flagged for an intentional grounding. And in a span of, I don't know, a minute and a half of real time, maybe three minutes of real time while the refs are figuring out that flag, the chiefs go from potentially leading inside of two minutes to just a hopeless fourth and 25 attempt. It falls short. You can argue about DPI all you want to take it somewhere else. There's no way the ref should have thrown that flag all by the length of Marquez Valdez Scantling's like middle and ring finger. The chiefs go from potentially winning this game to watching it quite literally slip through their fingers. Philadelphia Eagles nine and one. We'll just keep saying it. 
I'm not sure how amazing it's looked in any one of these games. Argue with your mom. They're the best team in the NFL. They're 9-1. and one. They beat the defending champions on the road in Arrowhead in adverse conditions. How many teams have beaten the Chiefs in that building since Patrick Mahomes became their quarterback? It's not a long list. They just find ways to do it. The stats aren't impressive at all in this game. Jalen Hurts finished with a passer rating of 64.6. He threw an interception in the first half. The Chiefs, the Chiefs young defense, it's not going to make anybody feel better in Chiefs kingdom right now, but continues to come on. I thought they were mostly solid against the run. They sacked Jalen Hurts five times in the game. Outside of a couple nifty DeAndre Swift runs, none of that vaunted Philly ground game was really churning on a regular basis. But the Eagles just hung tough. They trailed for 24 of 30 minutes in the second half. But their defense just kept fending the Chiefs off. They forced four punts after halftime. And then other than the MVS drop, let's get to the most important sequence here. End of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, the Chiefs are just, they're winding up for for that knockout blow. They had two or three opportunities to take a 10-point lead late in this game that surely would have sunk the Eagles the way the Chiefs were playing defense. Chiefs get all the way down to the Philly red zone. They convert a key fourth and one. It looks like they're going to roll to that 10 point lead. And on the very next play, Bradley Roby, big, big part of this game, as it turns out with the peanut punch on of all people, Travis Kelsey to turn the chiefs over chiefs go all the way down to the 16 yard line. They get nothing out of it. Eagles can't go anywhere. They've got to punt it right back. And can you imagine the pressure if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, the Chiefs trying to get things rolling, that whole building's trying to will them to that touchdown that's going to put it away. They get all the way to the Philadelphia 39, and they've got to punt again. That was it right there. The Chiefs had an opportunity to just grab this game by the throat. Eagles defense does not let them do it. The Chiefs punt, and from there, Seven plays, 80 yards. Jalen Hurts, screen here. Short pass to Julio Jones there. And when the opportunity presents itself, his best throw of the night, Devontae Smith gets behind his coverage. The 41-yarder puts him on the goal line. You know what happens from there. It's brotherly shove time, baby. Did I see correctly? Jalen Hurts now with the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in his first four years. He leads Cam Newton in that department. Yeah. When the Eagles get inside the three yard line, they're going to score. They're going to score a damn touchdown with that play. It's just what they do. Criticize them all you want. I, I, if I was emotionally invested in this, I understand why the Eagles might annoy you. The style points aren't always there, but they can win in a shootout. They can out throw you. They've got two of the best receivers in football. They did this without AJ Brown, even really factoring heavily on the stat sheet. They can win a rainy rock fight. Typically, you're supposed to be able to do one or the other. You're supposed to be the finesse team that can throw it all over the yard, but when the rain's coming down in Arrowhead, you just can't hang. Not this team, not with this offensive line, and they weren't even that good that this night. The running game wasn't that great. They give up five sacks. Doesn't matter. They're so adaptable. They're so versatile. They're so good. The only blueprint we know of in the regular season anyway, to beat the Eagles over the last year and some change is if they just give you the ball four times. That's it. 
That's the only way we've seen it happen is if they just cannot take care of the ball. If you don't go at least plus three in the turnover margin, this is a hell of a hard team to beat. I get why that might piss you off because yes, the Eagles have yet to look good, but they're better than you. They're better than everybody else so far this season. And they put a bow on it in one of the toughest places to play in the NFL this year. Speaking of let's flip to the other side of this. Very big, very visible game. I get that. I think we tend to overreact to these landmark games that everybody's going to watch. If this happens at noon or even 3.30, are we reacting this way to it? Maybe not, but we did all watch this game. It is one of the most anticipated games of the year. It's hard not to feel like there is a crisis in Chiefs kingdom. With the Travis Kelsey fumble, Chiefs now have four turnovers in the second half in their last three games. How many points do they have in the second half to combat those turnovers? None. They haven't scored a point in the second half in their last three outings. Brutal to go into this game up 17-7. I think if there is a blueprint to beating the Eagles, you would like to think it's to get up by 10-plus points, force them to throw their way back into the game. That's not where they want to be. It's not a knock on Jalen Hurts. Nobody wants to have to throw the ball 40, 45 times to get back into a game, but they just, they could not progress on that momentum. Big part of it, their passing game, five drops on the night. Three of them come on the final possession. Patrick Mahomes is an immaculate face of the franchise face of the league. He would never say it publicly, but he has to be feeling like he's got nobody to turn to right now. Even the mainstay, even the all-pro Hall of Famer, Travis Kelsey, had his slip-ups in this game. The fumble in the red zone, had a drop on the final drive. He did make up for that, but still, even, even his guy letting him down in this spot. I'm sure Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey have been through way too much for one game to ruin their relationship, but it's just been a theme all year long with these receivers, and now even Travis Kelsey's part of it. I can't wait for the toxic takes that are going to be coming out of KC Sports Talk Radio with the obvious Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift connection. It's all fun and games when the Chiefs are riding high, but when you look like this in such a visible loss, it's going to be gross. That's a bummer. Travis Kelsey's relationship is not why the Chiefs lost this game, but that's the nature of of the sport, unfortunately. Mahomes' defense got him five sacks and a takeaway. They held the Eagles to 21 points. That's supposed to be good enough to beat Philadelphia. But whether it's MVS, whether it's Travis Kelsey, shoot, you can't blame Kadarius Toney in this game. He was a baller as a punt returner. Just not enough. And it has clearly become a trend. Chiefs run game, I guess, if I'm looking, really, other than the drops, if I'm looking for a critique, Maybe we should question why the Chiefs were so intent on throwing the ball when the run was working so well. Isaiah Pacheco looked great. Chiefs averaged more than five and a half yards per carry, and they had the lead for so much of the second half of this game. Maybe you lean a little bit harder on that, but these are the second guesses you come up with after the game is over. Not the end for the Kansas City Chiefs, still in plenty good position, still leading the AFC West comfortably still have some very manageable games ahead of them on the schedule, whether that's the Raiders and Packers, Patriots are still there. 
the Cincinnati Bengals, that late season game that everybody was so excited about. Joe Burrow is no longer going to be part of that. I think the Chiefs are in perfectly good shape, but no doubt in my mind that they consider this a missed opportunity, and they should. And as much as I want to give the benefit of the doubt to Patrick Mahomes, it's inching toward the holidays now, and they still can't feel good about their receiver situation. I don't blame Chiefs fans if they're a little bit uncomfortable thinking about the playoffs this year. Big, big win for the Philadelphia Eagles, though. Let's make sure to the victors go the spoils this time around. They're not taking the Lombardi home with them, but they are taking home a big, big statement win for a team that I already thought was the best team in the league. They emphasized it. Call it ugly if you want to. It's a win. Another big one for the best team in the league, the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, let's turn an eye toward week 12. It's a weird week. Keep in mind, the Thanksgiving holiday is upon us. means plenty of good food, but it also means short weeks, weird weeks. There's three games on Thursday. There's a game on Friday. Keep an eye on your fantasy lineup. This is a week where it can get away from you. But let's also dive into the injuries. We talked about a lot of them coming out of Sunday. Some big, big updates from around the league. Let's get into them. Number one, this one, very intriguing for me, coming off of Minnesota's Sunday night loss to Denver. Justin Jefferson is officially designated as questionable. He's been missing for a little while with that hamstring injury. Questionable for the Vikings Monday night game against Chicago. That's a long time from now. So plenty of time for Justin Jefferson to test that thing out. Maybe he could play, obviously. I'm sure the Vikings could use the boost. Something to keep an eye on, though. Head coach Kevin O'Connell did say he wants to be smart about the injury. The Vikings do have one of the latest possible bye weeks. It's in week 13. So if you sit him out this week, you get two weeks to get him right, have him fully ready to go for the final month. So maybe the Vikings don't rush him back. But I am intrigued by Monday night football. That is a whole extra day to get that thing right, to see what Justin Jefferson can do. That is a really interesting scenario to watch for a Vikings team that even with the loss to Denver right in the thick of the playoff hunt, I wonder what they'll do. The Los Angeles Rams Cooper cup. Remember had that nasty looking ankle injury against the Seattle Seahawks. He's officially considered day to day, which if you go back and watch the replay of Cooper cup on the training table, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, I know football players are insanely tough people, but it looked like it was going to be far more than day to day. Whether he plays Sunday against Arizona, some, again, something to keep an eye on. When you're in between rounds of leftovers, just keep an eye on that fantasy football roster. See what happens with Cooper Cup. On the bright side, no matter what's going on with Cup, Rams running back Kyron Williams is coming back from injured reserve. Remember him? Last time we saw him was more than a month ago when he went for 158 and a touchdown against who else but the Arizona Cardinals, the Rams' next opponent. Suffered an ankle injury in that game. And all due respect to Kyron, it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. But what a get for the Rams to add him back to the roster. The second-year running back has six rushing touchdowns on the season. Should be a big, big help for a Rams team that hasn't run it very well the last couple weeks. So that is a big addition in L.A. Let's just stick it in the NFC West. It's It's been an eventful week for them, unfortunately. We mentioned all-pro 49ers safety Talanoa Hufunga coming out of week 11. Kyle Shanahan did confirm Monday that he tore his ACL in that win against Tampa Bay. That's a tough blow. The name to know for the 49ers, third-round draft pick, the rookie, 
Jair Brown out of Penn State. Looks like he's going to be the first man up to replace Hufunga. We'll not have to wait very long to see how he does. The 49ers going to Seattle on Thanksgiving. Speaking of which, Pete Carroll says Monday that Kenneth Walker, the running back for the Seahawks, who got hurt against the Rams on Sunday, he's not a candidate for IR, but they don't know what the timeline is. So IR means you miss four weeks. So if he's not a candidate for IR, that means you're thinking four games or less if you don't want to move him off the roster. Not saying he'll play Thursday against San Francisco. Definitely not. But like I just said with Cooper Cup, crazier things have happened. These guys are absolutely insanely tough and maybe just insane. So something to keep an eye on with Kenneth Walker. But even if he can't go on Thanksgiving, doesn't sound like his absence will be that long. Same thing can be said for Geno Smith. He knocked his elbow against the Rams. He returned. Pete Carroll thinks he will be available. Man, that's that Thursday night game. Seattle, San Francisco looking like a good one. One last one. Well, we'll do two last ones to get to. First of all, Joey Bosa. It's a foot sprain. The Chargers defensive end. He left the game against the Green Bay Packers early. He was in crutches by the end of it. He is headed to IR. No word yet if that's a season ender, but at least four weeks and you're already down to the last six, seven weeks of the season. So it's going to cut Joey Bosa's season significantly short if it doesn't end it entirely. Okay, that catches us up on most of it, but there is some interesting injury news coming out of the AFC North. Remember, Thursday night, word came out, Mark Andrews lost for the year with a leg injury against the Bengals, except maybe not so much. John Harbaugh saying Monday that it might not be as severe as they thought. Seems like a perfect segue. AFC North is one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL. Ravens are a hot talking point after that win against Cincinnati. Felt like a good time to talk to our buddy Greg Allman about all things AFC North. So, Greg, what I want to do with you, my friend, is just kind of go through the entire division. Fair bit of news coming out in addition to the Mark Andrews news. We'll get to all of that, but let's start at the top with the Ravens. What can you tell us about this situation with Mark Andrews and and what his new timeline for return might be? Um, I think just to keep the door open for a potential return is big for him. Um, you know, that's that's Lamar Jackson's go-to guy in the goal line in the red zone. Uh, easily his number one target since he's been there. Uh, so you think about what that red zone offense, as good as they are, it probably starts in the past game, at least with uh, with Mark Andrews. And if the, the idea is, you know, if you, you keep playing long enough, eventually he'll get back to you. Um, kind of gives them some extra incentive to have the extended playoff run they haven't had since Lamar's been there. Which hopefully for them that comes to fruition. It kind of reminds me of way back when, when Ray Lewis came back for the playoffs the year they won the Super Bowl back in 2012, I think it was. But for the time being, though, do you have a guess as to maybe how they replicate replicate that? Because you're right. Mark Andrews had six touchdowns on the season when he got hurt. Isaiah likely, I think, is the name to know at tight end. But, I mean, is, is, is it as easy as giving him those targets? Or do some of these Ravens receivers need to step up in Mark Andrews' absence? No, there's a big drop-off at tight end. I mean, you go from a pro bowler to a guy. I mean, Isaiah likely had a nice rookie year last year. Uh, I think 39 catches, something like that. Um, but he's been quiet. I mean, year two has not been the same for him. Um, Andrews has gotten pretty much all their tight end production. I think Isaiah has nine catches for 89 yards. Um, had two targets after Mark went down Thursday. Didn't get any catches out of that. Uh, Charlie Car- Charlie Kolar is their other tight end. But, I mean, it, it, it's a big drop-off there. So you're, you're probably more likely 
uh, to lean on those receivers. Obviously, you know, you've got, um, you know, it probably starts with a flowers there as a rookie who's been there. Number one, um, you know, they've, they got other options there. It doesn't have to be a tight end, but especially in the goal line in the red zone, uh, that's probably where they'll miss him the most. I think he has six red zone touchdown catches this year and the rest of the team has four, I think is the number. So they'll miss him there, which that that's been their issue is consistently getting to the end zone. So Ravens sitting pretty at eight and three, but I think that that's going to be something to watch for them is who steps up and, and fills that void because it wasn't necessarily all that pretty, even with Mark Andrews there. All right. Moving further down the standings, the Cleveland Browns, a hodgepodge of quarterback play still sitting at seven and three, still looking like a very likely playoff team. Okay. Let's, let's get the news out of the way. Cause Joe Flacco is now a Cleveland Brown. Do you, th- I mean, my guess is that if you sign Joe Flacco at some point, he's going to play. And I'm not saying it'll be this week, but at some point you would imagine, even if Kevin Stefanski's backing Dorian Thompson Robinson, Joe Flacco is going to find his way to the field at some point. Wouldn't you guess? You think so? It's tough. I mean, Joe Flacco has, has been a guy who's won on defense led teams before. Uh, the thing is he's getting up there. Joe Flacco is three and 14 as a starter since 2019, one and eight in the last three seasons. Um, they don't ask much of their quarterbacks. DTR didn't have to do that much to win 13, 10 the other night. Um, so no, I, I tend to think it's, it's still the rookie's job to hold on to. And if it gets to the point where he's having multiple turnovers in a game, it's at the expense of uh, a game, you know, the defense can win. Cleveland's defense has held three teams to three points or less this year. That's the most of any team in the NFL. Uh, Dallas and Baltimore have done that twice. They've done it three times. Uh, 13-10 is the kind of game they're going to have to win in these last six, seven weeks. Um, it's just a matter of whether, you know, it's not just not having Watson. It's still not having Chubb. So they're, they're missing some key offensive personnel. Uh, the main thing you have to do is just keep your turnovers down. Uh, DTR had 43 passes on Sunday. That's a lot more than they wanted to have, but the important thing was only one interception in those 43 passes. I'm looking at it right now. I know it's, it's still early in the week, but if you get distracted by Thanksgiving, if you're not paying full attention, the over under for Brown's Broncos is 35 and a half points. It's a Broncos defense holding everybody to 22 points or less. Obviously this four game winning streak keeping teams right around 20, right under 20. You combine that with the Browns defense. I think I'm hitting that under all day. If, if I was a betting man, if big, if could be those defenses could also get a defensive score or two. And then that kind of helps you hit the over, whether you mean to or not. That is, that is an excellent point, which, all right, now let's, let's flip to the other side of that. The, the Browns did get a win, a walk-off win, not the prettiest game, and it's, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers they get it against this Steelers offense. I think it's becoming a meme at this point, the struggles. I mean, it's been it's been something like two years since they had a 400-yard day. They're even struggling to get getting to 300. Is there, is there a fix this offense can, can do on short notice? I mean, you're not going to play the Browns every week, but that's why even at six and four, this, this just doesn't feel like sustainable offense for Pittsburgh. Yeah, what what Tomlin has done there is, is football alchemy. Um, I think the best side is that they've been outgained in every single game this season. I almost feel like they're they're trying to keep that streak alive just to, as like a point of pride that they don't need more yards than their opponent under any circumstances. Um, turnovers are huge. That, that's where it starts with Pittsburgh. It's uh, 19 takeaways, second in the NFL, best turnover margin in the NFL. Um, they only had a plus one 
on Sunday, and that's why they uh, they let Cleveland stick around. Uh, yeah, the offense is is rough. I mean, you look at all these backup quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and Pickett has as many touchdowns in ten games as Tommy DeVito and Will Levis have in four each. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's the complete absence of Oof. any kind of passing attack. Uh, the run game isn't what it should be. So, like I said, for them to be six and four, especially looking at the schedule they have, it's a schedule that that probably sets up better than anybody in the division. Um, there could be more of the same. It could be some very unremarkable wins to get them to nine and eight and another Mike Tomlin playoff trip. I mean, I'll I'll root for Mike Tomlin to keep that streak alive for as long as it's there, but not a pretty watch in Pittsburgh now. At least for them, this is going to be a familiar matchup. You know, they go against a young quarterback on the road in Cleveland last week. They turn right back around. It's another division game on the road against a young quarterback in Jake Browning. Unfortunately, Joe Burrow lost for the year. Where, where do you where do you think the Bengals go from here? And look, we've seen too many young quarterbacks step up and play this well to completely write them off. But in this division it's hard for me to have a whole lot of optimism about where the Bengals are headed with Jake Browning. What do you think? Yeah, I think they don't have Cleveland's defense to lean on and their schedule is not helpful at all. Every single team, the rest of the way is 500 or better. There's only one 500 team. Everybody else is above 500. Uh, and Jake Browning, I know they've, they've said he's their guy, uh, but Jake Browning's 27 before Sunday, his last meaningful football was in 2018. Um, still has to mark chase to throw to still has some talented guys to, to work with, but I feel like because this defense is now giving up more points, it's going to be tough for them. Their, their remaining schedule, um, they get the Steelers twice in this and maybe, you know, whichever of those two teams can sweep that two game set is in really good position. But the one that doesn't is probably on the outside looking in. I'll be honest. When I heard, when I heard that Joe Flacco was on his way to Ohio, I thought it was to, I thought it was to talk to the Bengals turns out to be the Browns. I'm fascinated to see the way all this shakes out clearly the most competitive division in the league, but, but a hell of a shakeup here just in the last week or so, Greg, I appreciate the catch up as always, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me. We'll do it again soon. We are heading into week 12, AKA Thanksgiving week. Let's give thanks for the gift that keeps giving. That's the power rankings. What better way to generate discussion to just get everybody angry than to do our weekly run through of the NFL pecking order. If you're watching, you see it there on the screen. If you're not, I'll walk you through it. I'm going to start a little bit higher up than usual this week. The bottom tier really seems to be distancing itself if you haven't been paying attention. So we'll start in the middle of the pack, which is just a weekly nightmare to figure out. Let's start with the LA Chargers dropping two spots after a very forgettable loss at Lambeau field. I don't, I don't know what to do with the chargers as per usual. I'm exasperated by this team again. I mean, if you think they're too high, I get it, but like you look at the all American golden boy quarterback and you say, yeah, chargers are better than a lot of these teams. They never prove it though. Receivers can't catch offensive line. Can't block. The defense has been woeful for the vast majority of the year still for some reason talk yourself into thinking that they're pretty good and watch true to form i'm calling it right now before we're done this season they're going to win two or three games in a row they're going to trick schmucks like me into thinking that they're pretty good and the cycle will repeat itself we're down we're at the bottom of the cycle right now chargers with a woeful performance they should be better than they are 
feels like a theme for the last three or four years. That's why I assume a major change is coming when this season is over. But until then, the roller coaster ride continues with the number 18 Chargers. Let's jump up to the top of the middle of the pack. That is number 13, the Denver Broncos. They're up nine spots this week. Yes, quite a jump for the Denver Broncos. Maybe I'm overcorrecting. Maybe I haven't moved them as high as I should have during this win streak. But look, they're on a five-game winning streak. I would argue they've all been messy and ridiculous in their own right. You realize they've won five straight games by a combined 20 points. So average margin of victory of five points, even I can do that. It's all been by the seat of their pants, by the skin of their teeth. So maybe I didn't move them up highly enough because in a vacuum, each win doesn't look all that impressive. But once you stack four of them together, you say, damn, Broncos are 500. They're right in the middle of the wild card hunt. And who would you rank them behind? They just beat the Vikings. Bengals lost Joe Burrow, so that's a no-go. The Colts and Gardner Minshew, I don't think so. The Steelers have just as woeful of an offense, if not more, than the Broncos do. Yeah. I can't say I feel great about it because of how slapdash all of these Broncos wins have been, but when you put four or five of them together, that's where you wind up at number 13. Seems kind of crazy, but that's where we are. Let's jump up a little bit to number 11. The Buffalo Bills are up three spots, getting their act together against the New York Jets. I already commended Joe Brady this week. I'll do it again. The Bills should be able to score 30 points on a regular basis. They did it against one of the best defenses in the league. Josh Allen looked like the guy we know he can be. Even with an interception, he still had a phenomenal game. Those are the Bills we need to see more of. Not putting them in the top 10 just yet, but they keep playing like that. They're definitely capable of it. Into the top 10, I'm ready for the hate on this one because I did drop the Cleveland Browns one spot. They beat Pittsburgh 13 to 10. They're seven and three. They certainly look like they're going to the playoffs, but uh, it's a quarterback league, y'all, isn't it? DTR did enough to get the job done. I commended him on Monday. Four of four for 39 yards in crunch time. But even with the most impressive defense in the NFL, don't you feel better with a star quarterback pulling the strings? I know I do. And so I, I look at the teams above the Browns and I say, yeah, the Browns could absolutely beat everybody on that list, but you feel better with a quarterback. That's why I dropped the Browns. I'm sorry. DTR, maybe Joe Flacco one day in the future. I don't know, but it is a quarterback league and I need to see more before I truly believe the Browns have too high of a ceiling. That's just the nature of the league up into the top five Kansas city chiefs. I've got them falling two spots after the loss of the Philadelphia Eagles to number four. Maybe I could have just dropped them one, but they let that slip away. They had a 10-point lead in the second half. They had every opportunity, whether it's the Travis Kelsey fumble, whether it's all the drops, whatever you, whether, I mean, the, the, the drop by Marquez Valdez-Scantling that could have changed the entire game. They had it. They played sloppy. They, they let it slip away. And, and with the Ravens getting a win and, and a big moment from the Detroit Lions, I feel good about it. That's where we'll go next. The Detroit Lions up to, to number two. Yes, I've got them leapfrogging the Ravens. Sorry, Ravens. 
Joe Burrow left that game in the first half. Doesn't nullify it, but it does take a little of the bite out of it. I know you beat the Lions. I get it. But man, this Detroit team, they're just a lot of fun. And coming back, look, I know it was the Bears. I know it was the Bears. I know it was the Bears. Coming back from down 12 in the final four minutes of the game, scoring 17 points in that stretch to put a guaranteed loss into the win column. It, it's just, it's a special moment. You don't see it often. It can be a galvanizing moment for a team. We'll see where the Ravens go without Mark Andrews for the foreseeable future. I feel like I'm going to catch a lot of hate for this one, but I'm okay with it. Let the Detroit Lions have this moment in the sun. It's really cool that they are eight and two. They're playing on Thanksgiving with an amazing record. Whatever. I like the story. So sue me. And of course, at number one, I've got the Philadelphia Eagles. What else is there to say? Nine and one. They can beat you with physicality. They can beat you with the run. They can throw the ball over the yard. We already did this whole thing. Don't think they played the better game on Monday night, but in a weird way, that makes it more impressive that they won. So best record in the league, best team in the power rankings, not too hard to figure out. That does it for the power rankings. That does it for the show. It's going to be an interesting week with the holiday, but we've got plenty of content planned for you. Don't worry. We're going to get into all of the Thanksgiving madness. We're going to talk some New York Jets and their quarterback issues later this week. We'll have our full slate of previews for you for week 12 as well. Bear with us. It's going to be a little bit crazy as we sort it all out with the holiday, but we are looking forward to it. And I will be back with y'all in a couple of days as we lean into this Thanksgiving schedule. I'll catch y'all next time.